Everybody have a good dinner tonight? Yes. Let me just say that as we get ready to get started here, uh, this has been a great group for a little more interaction. And uh, you've answered questions, you've participated, you've shared testimonies. So well done. We're kind of moved up to the advanced level. Doing it in this room uh, is a little more of a challenge, but you've done so well. We're going to keep trying to do that. So uh, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we're going to move into our third session. We've been thinking together about God's faithfulness. And uh, what we've been doing as we've been working through this is we're taking an image from the Old Testament just to kind of help us think aesthetically or uh, visually or in some way to kind of resonate with what it means to say that God is faithful. And then we're taking a text from the New Testament and just looking at a passage where it says God is faithful and then what is it that he's faithful to do? And then it's been a real blessing to my heart to hear how God has shown himself to be faithful in your lives as well. And so if the Lord prompts you and most of the people I've talked to after they've shared, have said, I didn't want to share, but I felt like the Holy Spirit made me share. And so that's awesome. It's an answer to prayer. I'm like, Lord, if you have things that you want said, you're going to have to make them said. And so my experience has been is that as I've listened to your testimonies, as they've been shared, I can identify other people or they've come up and said, that is what I needed to hear today. And so that's, I think, what the Lord wanted planned is, is that his faithfulness is too big and too vast for just one person's experience or comments or words in this room is filled with evidence of God's faithfulness. So let me open us in prayer, and then we'll dive into our third session. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together around your word. Lord, we thank you for, uh, man, Lord, great stuff going on in Bethlehem, and what a hard situation, but Lord, you're a faithful God. And your faithfulness shines through in difficult situations even better than it does in comfortable ones. And so, God, we're grateful for that. Lord, you're faithful uh, to be with us here at Gull Lake, uh, you know, Lord, week in and week out, teaching after teaching, opportunity after opportunity. And Lord, today, we already saw new examples of your faithfulness and your mercy. And so, Lord, would you bring them to mind, even as we uh, study today what you have for us uh, tonight? Lord, I pray that uh, after a good meal, uh, Lord, you would enable us to feast on your word and the truth of who you are. Uh, Lord Jesus, you taught us that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we've had a delicious meal, uh, God, uh, topped off with a, a wonderful dessert. But Lord, the, even the greater cherry on top in dessert would be words from you. And so, Lord, uh, you have the words of life. And so, uh, Lord, our bellies have been full, and we say thank you. And, Lord, would you fill our souls as well? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's start with our Old Testament image. And I got a picture here. Uh, pop up that picture. I would like to know, when you see this picture, what words come to mind when you think about faithfulness? I got a mom... Uh, and her baby safely kept in this uh, sort of uh, baby carrier. What, what words pop in your mind when you think about faithfulness and this picture? Servanthood. Servanthood. Yes. Probably not so much the kid, but the mom, for sure. Yeah. Joy. She looks full of joy, doesn't she? And he does too. Closeness. 
See how close, uh, how closely connected they are? What's that? The trees need to be watered. All right, fair enough. Security. Yeah. Generations. Nice. Any other words come to mind? Any other thoughts? Any feelings? What's that? Yeah, hope. Yeah. Beautiful. Like this is the, you know, the, the birth of new life and sort of one generation uh, transferring to another. The reason why I have this image up here is in the book of Isaiah, one of the key words or the key word for faithfulness in the Old Testament is used in connection with a mom carrying a baby on her hip. And that somehow this imagery of security and of faithfulness and of closeness and of joy, this is what God being faithful to us is supposed to feel like, look like, uh, be an experienced in that way is that I sort of did some research on uh, that passage in Isaiah and it's a, you know, about a mom holding, it says actually her daughter on her hip and the sort of research was and that this was the phrase that stuck out that I loved that was like close enough to kiss. And this picture is, is that as she holds her baby, so God holds us. And you can imagine that there's nothing that that mom wouldn't do to protect that child, to love that child, to care for that child, to take care of that child. So too is the image of God's faithfulness to us. And that as we've seen all around family camp, uh, even this week, lots of moms, especially uh, with small children, uh, dads too, but there's something about, in the passage, it's a mom carrying a daughter on their hip. And there's something about that that is faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness to continue to do the laundry, faithfulness to continue to feed, faithfulness to continue to clothe, to love, to dry tears, to change diapers, faithfulness day in and day out. And so God uses that image of a mom with her daughter uh, to help us feel what it's like for him to be faithful to us. And so now, with that Old Testament image in mind, we want to look at a New Testament passage. Now, I realized when I got here for dinner that maybe you didn't bring your Bible with you. Uh, maybe you have it on a phone. Great, if you want to look it up. If not, I'm going to read the passages, and so we'll be just fine. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to read the first 13 verses, but verse 13 is the one we're going to really focus on tonight. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is a reference to the golden calf 
And so the children of Israel who had seen God do amazing things, Moses goes up the mountain and as soon as he's gone for a little while, they say, well, we don't know where that fellow Moses went. Let's make ourselves a God. And it's about sort of their desire to be controlling of who God is and what he looks like and put him in a form that they can control. Well, this was a horrible uh, violation of the Ten Commandments. And so Paul says, remember, these were the same people who saw the Red Sea part. These were the same people who experienced all this amazing stuff, yet they gave way to temptation. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. That despite seeing God do amazing miracles in Egypt to set them free, when they were offered uh, opportunities to be sexually immoral with, uh, their neighboring, with the neighboring peoples in the land, many of them took that opportunity and God put 23,000 of them to death in one day. Verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And then one of the more sobering verses in the Bible. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The temptation is everywhere. And that we may have a long history of seeing God's incredible power at work in our lives. But we're only one bad choice away from doing some real damage. Well, that's the bad news, and that's the lead-up to the verse we're going to look at this evening, which is incredibly good news. Verse 13, Paul ends this section with this phrase. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And then here's our phrase. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The faithfulness of God in the area of temptation. That just like the children of Israel, there are temptations all around us. Temptations to try to control God. Temptations towards sexual immorality. Temptations towards ignoring God, to breaking the commandments, to doing things that are displeasing to him. And Paul gives this whole litany of how badly it went for the children of Israel. And then he says, beware, because the very same things can happen to you. In Ezekiel, it says, if a righteous person who's done righteous things suddenly decides to do something wicked, God says, I'm going to forget the righteous stuff they did and I will punish them for the wicked things that they did. It's a very sobering message. But in the midst of this sobering message, God announces his faithfulness. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, in this verse, there's sort of three parts to it. And we're going to take those three parts uh, together tonight. The first part says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, the translation of that from Greek into English is a little bit tricky. 
And when you hear that, it can be a little confusing what it's saying. The word overtake, we probably could translate in another way that might also make it a little more clear. That verb can mean no temptation has grabbed hold of you. It's actually a similar idea to a mom carrying her daughter securely and tightly on her hip. And the image or the idea is, is that temptation cannot hold on to you the way a mom holds on to her daughter or the way that God holds on to us. And the thing that's negated is not the word temptation, but grab hold of. In other words, it's saying temptation cannot grab hold of you because God is faithful. Now you might hear that and say, amen, great. But in reality, do we not know people for whom it seems that temptation has indeed grabbed hold of them? Have we not had those own experiences in our own lives where it feels like people are powerless against temptation and sin? Experiences where people are engaged in activities as Christians and you tell them, look, you don't want to do this anymore. And yet they seem powerless to stop. And so you read this verse and to be honest, it's a fantastic verse, but in reality, maybe this is your experience right now. Maybe you're experiencing temptations in your life that you think these are impossible to overcome. What is this verse talking about? No temptation has grabbed hold of you. It is not capable of grabbing hold of you. Well, in order to explain why this is true, I got to step back for a moment and sort of explain how this works. Temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to death. We got to talk a little bit about sin and death in order to understand what's going on in temptation. So I'm going to take us over to the book of Romans, chapter 6, to share an important passage. If you're turning Romans 6, starting in verse 15. Paul says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, one of the problems with this passage is recognizing the fact that where it's written in the book of Romans, it's being written to Christians. At this point in Romans, we've talked at the beginning of Romans, Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's talking about people before they're Christians. And in Romans 3, a righteousness has appeared that is apart from the law, that the law testifies to a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, people are becoming Christians. Romans 4, they're following the example of Abraham. In Romans 5, they're justified by faith. By the time we get to Romans 6, Paul is talking about Christians. Did you hear what he says? Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Does that mean that a Christian can be enslaved to sin? Does it? 
Yes, it does. This passage is talking about the fact that many of us have had this experience. Many of us know Christians who've had this experience in which they're trapped in alcoholism or they're trapped in an addiction to pornography or they're trapped in anger and you just, it seems no way out. Paul is talking, that can happen. When you and I, even as Christians, choose to offer ourselves to sin, we become slaves to sin. And Christians can be re-enslaved to sin all over again. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You see, what God did for us in Jesus is through the cross, he defeated sin's power over us. But if you and I choose to sin, then sin re-exercises its power in our life. Don't you know, Christians, that if you offer yourselves as slaves to sin, you will be re-enslaved? And so when you look around and you say, but I see people who seem to not be able to say no to temptation, the reality is, is they're not, not saying no to temptation. They're not saying no to sin. That sin does have power over us if we give it that power. But the good news of Jesus is, is that because of the forgiveness offered in Jesus is any one of us who are enslaved to sin can be set free again through the forgiveness that's offered daily in Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that's a place where you're at currently, if you're struggling with enslavement to sin, I would be glad to talk to you about that offline at some point. I know what that's like as a Christian to be re-enslaved to sin. It is devastatingly difficult. So when you and I look around and we see others or even in our own life who appear to be in situations where the temptation is too much for them, it's not the temptation, it's the sin. And sin has that enslaving power. But the good news is, is that God will not allow temptation to have that power, which means this. In any situation that you and I find ourselves in, you will never lack the power to say no. You might be re-enslaved to sin, but in every situation, we can always say no to temptation. That is the promise and the guarantee of God. And the reason why we don't often see that in practice is because some Christians have chosen through their own desires to end up re-enslaved to sin, but this is not God's plan for us and that he offers freedom to that. And so the positive good news is there is never a temptation that you and I will ever face that can exercise power over us. If we choose to give into it of our own free will, that sin will begin to exercise power over us. But temptation will not. Back to 1 Corinthians. So that's the first thing that God's done in his faithfulness, is he has guaranteed that temptation will not have that kind of power over us. Second thing that God says that he does. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Look at this passage with me from uh, the book of Exodus. 
When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Why does God not take the Israelites the shortest distance from Egypt to the promised land? He doesn't think they can handle it. He thinks if they face war, they're going to get scared and go running back to Egypt. I love this about God. Is that he doesn't get frustrated with them. He understands their shortcomings and their weaknesses and says, look, if I take them this direction, they're just going to fall into sin. He won't let them be tempted beyond what they can bear. Our family just got back this last spring break from uh, a trip to the Dominican Republic. And we went, had a fantastic time. I have a daughter who's a senior, and this was kind of her senior spring break trip. And we went to an all-inclusive. How many of you have been to all-inclusives in the Caribbean? Yep. Fantastic. Not quite as great as Go Lake. Still fantastic. <laughs> but we went there, and all you all-inclusives, all you can eat, sunshine, beauty, wonderful stuff. I got to the end of the week, and you know what I said to the Lord? Thank you that I don't live here. Not because the country isn't beautiful, but because it is beautiful. All the food you could eat. I have had a problem in my past and still struggle with idolatry of food. And getting in those situations where they're like, all you want to eat, all you care to eat, all you can eat, that wasn't great. Situations where people are... We can have that even at Gull Lake. Situations where people are cleaning up after you, taking care of all of the stuff you just show down. Anytime you want food, you just ask for food. At some point in the middle of that week, during sort of personal devotions, the Lord's like, do you want to go back to Egypt? You don't want to go back into all of this stuff. You need to stop eating so much stuff at the buffet. Amen. Amen. When I came here this week, I had to make a conscious effort. You know what? I need to not eat everything that I can eat, I need to eat what is right for me to eat. But at the end of that, I thought, you know, it's super kind of God that I don't live in the Dominican Republic and I don't live in that kind of lifestyle. How many of us perhaps have actually looked back on younger years and thought, you know what? It's actually a pretty good thing that I was not that attractive to members of the opposite sex. I don't think that would have worked out very well. How many of us have said, you know what? It's probably good that the Lord has not entrusted uh, billions of dollars to me. I would probably not make good decisions with those things. How many of us have said, you know what? It's probably good that the Lord did not make me the most sort of popular person or whatever it may be. This is the faithfulness of God. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's his kindness. He knows what you and I can handle. John Wesley used to say, God knew what he was doing and not making me a banker. Because John Wesley was like, I can't handle money. And so in God's kindness, he didn't put him into that situation. And if you and I are willing to look around the situations that we're in, we probably don't live in places where we have all the money that we need, where we have every uh, comfort that we want, where we have every freedom that we want. That's the kindness of God. Because he says, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Another passage, Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, uh, speaking of Epaphroditus, indeed he was ill and almost died, 
but God had mercy on him and not only on him, not, only, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Why does Paul think God spared Epaphroditus' life? Because Paul couldn't have handled it if he died. I find comfort in that. Here's an apostle who's strong in his faith, but at some point, even people strong in their faith get to the point like, Lord, I can't handle anymore. You been at that point? Have you ever said, Lord, I don't think I can take anything more? That's where Paul's at. Why does God not allow this in his life? Because he knows he can't handle it. It's a beautiful truth. You see, the word for temptation in our passage is also the same word for testing. Temptation doesn't just have to be temptations to sin in the ideas of lust or in the ideas of food or temptations to sin with anger or gossip. It can also be the testings, temptations towards discouragement, towards despair, to being in over your head. The promise of God is he will not allow you and I to go through more than we can handle. Now, if you're like me, you probably have thought, well, I thought my limits were a lot earlier than he thought they were. And he has pushed me beyond what I thought I could handle. But that's not the promise. The promise is he will not give you more than you think you can handle. What is the promise? He will not give you more than you can handle. Have you had the experience where maybe you've been going through a very difficult season in marriage, but yet stuff at work's going okay? Stuff with your kids might be okay. Stuff with your health might be okay. This is the Lord saying, look, you can only handle one thing at a time. Or have you had the experience where one child, it's just man, it is butting heads with this child. But everybody else in the family seems to be doing fine. Or things at church seem to be going well. This is the kindness of God not giving you and I more than we can handle. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested or tempted beyond what you and I are able to handle. And then there's a, th as if that wasn't enough, that he won't let temptation enslave us, that he won't give us more than we can handle, there's a third aspect in our verse of God's faithfulness to us. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I forgot to put this passage in the, uh, in the overhead, but in Genesis 4, it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Why does God appear to Cain in the midst? Right when he's ready to do this wicked deed. Because God's providing a way out. He's given Cain an escape route. He knows the temptation that's come over him. Abel has offered a sacrifice in faith. Cain, for whatever reason, out of jealousy, out of sibling rivalry, out of hatred, whatever it may be, he is contemplating doing what to his brother? 
He's going to kill him. What does God do before Cain takes this action? He shows up and says, don't do this. This is our passage. He will provide a way out so that you can endure the temptation. We get the same thing in the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son, the younger son goes away and he engages in all sorts of terrible living. When he comes back home, the father who represents God says, we've got to celebrate because this child that was once lost is now found. How does the older brother react? Not happy. Why? He's like, I did all the right stuff. I followed all the rules and I got nothing. And so where, when the sun comes back and the party starts, where's the older boy? He's outside. And who goes to him? The dad. And he goes, he doesn't yell at him. He just simply says, my son, your brother was lost and now is found. It's important that we celebrate. He says to him, look, everything I've got is yours. Like, I get the fact that you've obeyed the rules, but don't jeopardize, don't fall into this sin. This is the faithfulness of God. In the moment of temptation, God provides a way out so that we can stand up under it. Have you ever had this experience? You're arguing with your spouse and something interrupts you. Maybe a child bursts into the room. Had that experience? What do you think that is? This is the faithfulness of God saying, here's your way out. Don't keep going this direction. You've got a chance to do something different. Recently, my son and I, it was for my birthday, but it was kind of for him as well. Uh, we got the game Zelda for the Nintendo Switch. Anybody played the new Zelda? All right, thank you. The three of you will understand, will understand my temptation. So here it is, kids have gone to bed, I've got my sort of Zelda game, and if you've ever played, you can sort of lose untold hours in the game. You can look up and be like, wow, it's two in the morning, I should be in bed, this is bad. I will say, and it's humorous, but also the point, there have been times where I'm trying to do whatever sort of like little quest in Zelda and all of a sudden everything's going fine. And then I just keep dying and my character, keep, I can't do this. And I realize this is the kindness of God saying, hey, look, it's time to go to bed. He does these. Now, what's the problem? We don't take them, right? But don't miss the faithfulness of God. Every time you are tempted. Every time, he'll provide a way out. How many of us have wanted to go chew out a coworker? And in anger, we go over to their cubicle, their desk, and find out they're gone for the day. What is that? It's the faithfulness of God. It's the, he's providing a way out for us to stand up under that temptation. So I love this. We get 12 verses about, look, don't give way to sin. If you give way to sin, bad things are going to happen. And what does Paul end with? No temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out 
so that you can endure it. The picture is of a mom holding her baby close on her hip. And God says, because I hold you so close, temptation cannot hold you that close. I promise you, I know you better than you know yourself. I know what you can. And trust me, I have rationalized with God that I can handle a lot more money than I currently have now. He doesn't seem to buy it. I've rationalized with God that I can handle a, a church that has some different aspects than the church I'm currently at. He's like, you couldn't handle that. He loves you just like a mom loves her daughter. And just like a mom looks at that daughter on her hip and says, I know who you are. I know what you can handle. So God looks at us and says, I won't give you more than you can handle. And when temptation comes, and it does, the faithfulness of God, faithfulness, meaning every time, he says, I'm going to give you a way out so you can stand up under it, the kindness of God. Well, we've left just a few minutes. Again, it's a big room. It's tough. I've shared a few of my stories. If the Lord is prompting you, has he been faithful to you with regards to temptation? Maybe you like the Apostle Paul. We're just getting beat down by wave after wave of difficulty. And then God did something to help you sort of stand up under. Do you want to share that? Is there a way in which you've been enslaved to sin and God set you free? Let's share those stories. I think we got one back here maybe. Yep. Birthday boy? Yeah. Thank you. Daniel. Yes. Yes. Um, so let's go back to the financial crisis, 2007, 2008. Um, and so I was reading um, various financial articles and things about how the financial crisis was going to happen. So if you've seen the big short, yep. I was the little short um, <laughs> because I agreed that things were about to get bad. And so... I wanted to leave where I was working at the time at Citigroup and go to a safer bank to go. And so I went to Goldman Sachs, got open doors there. But um, Goldman Sachs is a place you can get a master's in pride, uh, hubris, if you want it. Um, so needless to say, I was very confident and started investing. First, I shorted Citigroup. Then I shorted a lot of other things. Apple, all of it. So um, then the year unro unraveled, as most of you know, and by October, things were in crazy time, and um, I was making a ton of money. <clears throat> but, um, you know, that's where pride sets in, and so I got pretty confident I was able to cash out in November, and I could have bought a ha house in New Jersey with that money. Um, and so I was doing pretty well as a young person, but... Um, I got overconfident, and that's when I kind of went all in on another thing in investments and said to my dad, why don't we get into some investments together, and you can day trade, and I'll give you money to day trade. And um, so we both then proceeded to lose money, uh, and it was, it took a bit of time, you know, but God showed me that um, going through that process was important for me to be humbled. And also, I grew a lot closer spiritually with my father. Um, and so we both went through loss together. But it was only like nine months after the big loss, which was around this time of year in 2019. And um, 
It was about nine months after that that I you know, first interacted and met my wife. So I was like, I would have been a very different person had I had all the success, you know, and just seeing God's faithfulness that Amen. more than money, you know, yep. his, his guidance is important. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Got you over here. Yeah, Daniel, that takes some humility to share that, so I appreciate that. Yep. Um, my story starts in, in 2018, where I just kind of felt like I was in control of my universe, and I had my four kids, and I was steering my ship well, and then all of a sudden our daughter started to do these outlandish things and say these outlandish things like she was in kindergarten and she wanted to kill herself, and she didn't know what was worth living for, just really bizarre. And um, we didn't know where to turn or what to do, but I shared it with a friend of mine, a believer, who has always prayed for me. And I didn't take it too seriously, but she called me back like two weeks later and she said, I just saw a little girl's picture and an article about a condition called pandas. Um, it's your daughter. She has pandas. And um, it's a condition related to an autoimmune response in the body related to strep. And so we searched high and low for doctors that would help us and drove with, I was listening to your illustration about a little girl, you know, on the hip of her mom. And we dragged that girl, you know, anywhere to a hospital that would listen to us. And they all just told us they couldn't help her. And things got more desperate and more just violent and sad in our home but we just didn't know where to turn. And all this time, I'm feeling more and more out of control and desiring control for myself. And then in 2019, I woke up from what I would have called a nightmare, where in the dream, our family moved to a place with woods so my husband could work at this ministry. And I had the specific name in my head, though I had no idea what they did. And um, I wasn't going to tell him because it was horrific. Like we were all in pain in the dream and I woke up in pain. Why would you tell anyone that? I don't have to tell anyone that. And three days later, God made the moment where I just had to tell my husband, I had this dream and you're doing this thing and I don't know what it is. And we went on the internet and he, the only job they had was a job in his field. Um, Long story short, in the middle of 2020, when I wanted control and I wanted to hunker down, the Lord said, you're going. Hmm. You're going to this place. He's going to work at this place. And it was everything hard in my dream. And we moved that sweet little girl who was completely out of control and out of our control down to a place where within months, a doctor looked at us and said, oh, I know exactly what this is. She'll be fine in two weeks. Oh. And two weeks later, my little girl jumped on my bed with a smile on her face to tell me a story. And it was the first time that I had seen joy and that she had come back. But it took God telling me, you, you really have to come to the end of yourself. You can't control your environment. You have to move to a new place. You can't control where your husband works or what your community looks like. Like, it's all mine, but I've got this. I've got this. And she is healthy and happy. And in God's good grace, he actually moved us back to the community where we felt like we had roots. But it wasn't until I came to the end of myself and surrendered to Amen. what he had for us and to the craziness of following a dream or a friend's prayers that um, we were able to see his faithfulness. 
That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. You know, uh, yeah, please. <laughs> when I hear that story, uh, and, and, and Daniel's yours as well, you know, I'm reminded of in Genesis 22 when Abraham has to sacrifice Isaac when he's supposed to lay down his uh, child on the altar. <laughs> We've had experiences, and, and some of you as parents as well, where you just, you got to lay your Isaac down and you have to give him up. The thing I find really powerful about that story is, is, you know, Abraham's going on a journey. And God says, you got to take a long journey to go to a very specific mountain. And that mountain is going to be, you know, it's going to end up where the temple is going to be. It's Mount Moriah. Uh, it's why we got all this stuff going on in Jerusalem that we have today. It's a specific mountain. And so he goes on a, on a multiple day journey. And the thing that the Lord sort of used in that passage is, is that while he was going on that journey up one side of the mountain, thinking he's going to sacrifice his son, God told the ram like three or four days earlier, hey, I got a mountain I need you to go to. And that ram started his journey. And Abraham had no idea, but God was going to make sure that ram got to the top of that mountain at just the time that Abraham needed him to be. That's the faithfulness of God in the midst of overwhelming circumstances when you think, I can't take any more. God's like, I got an escape rope for you. And the ram's on its way. And so thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being willing uh, to share and listen. As we encourage one another, we're about out of time. As we encourage one another to remember, life is full of temptations. Life is full of difficulty. We look forward to the day in which there will be no more temptations, but that's not today. By the goodness of God, you and I can be set free from the power of sin. But the goodness of God is we will never be in a situation where the temptation is too strong for us. God will not allow us to be in a situation where we cannot say no. And every time we get into a situation, every time we go through a trial, every time we've got pride or something in our life that's about to lead us astray, every time, our faithful God will provide a way out so we can stand up under it. Now, if this was a sermon where it was about us, I would tell you, take the way out when it comes. But it's not. It's a, sermon, it's a sermon about God's faithfulness. And even if you don't take the way out, he'll provide another one. That's how kind and generous and good he is. Well, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I know that we could have multiplied these stories over and over again. Thank you uh, for these two friends who shared. Lord, in the midst of the trials and troubles of life, we think that everything's balanced on a knife's edge, but it's totally in your control. And Lord, we think we can't handle one more day. Lord, we think that the uh, alcohol addiction is too much. We think that the pornography addiction is too much. We think that the trial and the test that we're going through with a sick child or a, a situation when our, in our finances is just too much. But Lord, never once have we ever walked alone. Never once, Lord, has it been too much for us. We're sorry for the ways in which we have given into temptation. We're sorry for the ways in which we have blocked out those opportunities. But Lord, we want to stop right now and say, you are faithful every time, God, you are faithful. And so, Lord, I pray for any right now who are in the midst of trials and testing, temptation, perhaps even enslavement to sin. Lord, would you use this message to awaken within them the reality that you have not left them and you will not leave them and that what they are going through will not overwhelm them. When they walk through the waters, they will not drown. When they go through the fire, they will not be burned because you are with them. No temptation has taken them except that which is common to mankind. And God, you are faithful 
Please, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that we might see that no temptation, nothing will come into our lives that will be too much for us to handle. And you will always, always provide a way out so we can stand up under it. Thank you, God. We praise you for the rest of the evening, Lord. Let us have joy. Let us have encouragement. Uh, Lord, let us mutually encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.